0: like to welcome Jesse Braun as our special guest today for the Librarian Influencers Podcast. So Jesse, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your experience in education and and in the school library.
1: Well, um, I haven't been a school librarian for all that long, to be absolutely honest. It's been a fascinating process. I I was a classroom teacher for almost 20 years. I taught uh, English and history primarily, but I also... um, have been used in uh, some private school settings to teach math and science, which are not not my areas of expertise or my preference. Okay. I'm a middle school teacher. Right. And um, in 2012, I got my MLIS. Okay. And immediately started looking for a school library that I could uh, call my own. Mm-hmm. But California is not great for school librarians. Okay. And what I, what I found was that while there were occasional positions that came up, there weren't any that needed a middle school librarian. Ah. And um, so that was, a, that was a really, it was a difficult, difficult nut to crack. And I had been uh, working as a um, teacher on special assignment for technology okay. in the Beverly Hills Unified School District advising teachers and how they could implement technology and using some of my library skills as far as research and, and information literacy yeah. in delivering lesson, lessons in people's classrooms when I was told that the school district was going to completely reorganize and open up a middle school for the first time. And so I started taking meetings with various people on the district level. And then I, I found out who was going to be the principal and I started taking meetings with him and I really sold the idea that what they needed was not just library technicians, which was what they'd been using on the elementary level, but they needed a credentialed and certified MLIS teacher librarian in that library because the way that the world was going, the way that information literacy looked, the way the digital literacy looked, that was something that the school district really needed to get out in front of. And so they kind of created the position for me and I was in my first year and I was building that program and I was building that collection and we were bringing in books and we were kind of doing all of that work when COVID hit. Okay. And then then we got shut down and um, that became its own adventure because we were told that we were going to reopen. Uh-huh. um at some point and that the kids needed to return the previous year's textbooks that we needed to process them that we needed to recatalog them over the summer and that we needed to be ready to turn them around and get them back in the kids hands without exposing anybody to anybody else due to covid
0: oh, my and goodness. it
1: was that it was that juggling act
0: yeah
1: that um, that occupied my summer and the beginning of this school year And that was, I think a big part of what brought the PTA into the uh, process and made them aware of what we were doing in a really uh, active way. And that coordination ended up kind of moving in a a direction that was really fruitful. and, And in the end, they nominated me for the ALA award. The I Love My Librarian Award, which was a huge surprise.
0: Yeah, and then so, that, congratulations on it. That's what caught my eye. You know, I was reading through the the nom- people who were awarded that um, I Love My Library Award, and that's that's amazing. So, tell us a little bit about that award for our audience who who may not know very much about it.
1: Well, I I have to say I didn't know very much about it before. Yeah. Before I was told that I was being nominated for it. Okay. Um, it's, it's a service-based award where the community and the patrons of a given library nominate a given librarian. Okay. And the, the concept behind it seems to be that any librarian that has an MLIS in any library, pretty much of any kind, mm-hmm. can be nominated for that award. Okay. Um, but it, it needs to be supported by and and uh, the nomination needs to come through the patrons of the library. Okay. And so in my case, it was the PTA in, yeah. in my school district, in my, at my school, at my campus who That's uh, heard, heard about the award.
0: It's kind yeah. of like a reader's choice or a viewer's choice, but this is like a patron's choice. I'm not sure what to really call it, but how exciting that they would do that. So what, um, do you know anything about it? Like what did, what they might have said
1: I know all about it because I've now seen the nomination materials because it, okay. they were very kindly, well, it genuinely brought me to tears. Oh. I, I've, I've never had an experience like that. And I will say it was somewhere between um, the, the joy and, 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 and associated discomfort of, of, of kind of that degree of praise. Yeah. And then also at the same time, the slightly creepy feeling of, of listening to your own eulogy because you know people, people are writing all of these things about what wonderful things you've done with your life. And you feel like, oh, that's, that, that's not an experience that one normally has on a day-to-day that's basis. True. I'm
0: still alive.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm still here. Uh, I'm just getting started. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was very strange. I mean, it's beautiful mm-hmm. what, they, what they wrote. They, they got together, I believe that the way that they organized it, the PTA, was that they put together a Google form and they distributed it through their newsletter, and um, teachers received the newsletter, administrators received the newsletter, the PTA members received the newsletter, and so people would log into the form, and they just put in their remarks, Mm -hmm. and the PTA then uh, put together the remarks and put together some kind of um, connective material yeah and every every once in a while i'd get an inkling that something was going on because i'd get a phone call from somebody saying is it accurate (laughs) that this happened or that that happened or that these uh can we make these statements about the library and at the time i thought they were writing an article about me you know which which was uncomfortable enough but um in in the end they put together this this Mm -hmm. lovely three thousand word seven page long document Wow. about everything that had been done over the course of the year with the library. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I, my only my only reticence, true reticence about it is I have two library technicians and they're wonderful and they're experienced and they're hardworking and they're just terrific human beings. And um, they're essentially not mentioned mm-hmm. in the document because they're not MLISs and yeah. it wasn't nominating them. Right. And I felt like... This was a three-person dance with with the three of us going through all of this. Yeah. And I'm I'm receiving more credit than yeah. I really deserve.
0: But I'm quite sure you're giving them shout outs. So if you want to give them a shout-out right now, feel free.
1: Oh, absolutely. Free um, I have a I have a library technician named Joe Roberts who has been in my school district for more than 25 years. Wow. She is extraordinary. She is extraordinarily experienced. Mm-hmm. She has a deeply um, connected and unique rapport with all of the students and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then I have a library technician named uh, Rachel Levin who is truly the most organized and hardest working human being I've ever met in my life. And between the two of them, um, we're able to do things that I would never be able to do um, on my own. So they deserve a tremendous amount of credit that, that I then ended up receiving through this award process.
0: Well, wonderful teamwork on that. And I know you said that the application kind of touched on what y'all did with COVID-19. So can you just give us just a real brief summary of the kinds of services y'all were offering during that? So during this
1: the, time? <laughs> the most time consuming thing um, that's COVID related and the most kind of energy consuming thing is our library is up on the second floor of a, of a three-story building. And we had already, um because had started before we recollected the yearbooks the way that we'd recollected the yearbooks was we basically had the students come in and do a dead drop where they would drop the yearbooks on stacks in the quad essentially it's actually a um a covered um atrium area okay and so it's an outdoor atrium area and the kids would come in and they would drop the books onto the stacks we then moved the books up to the library for processing which in hindsight was a rookie error and should never have been done. We should have kept them down in the, in the atrium because what I ended up doing uh, mid-summer, I started to get um, uh, concerned that we were going to have to redistribute these books. And I, I contacted the administration of the school yeah. and I said, what do you guys wanna do? And they said, no, the books really do need to be in the kids' hands on day one. And so what I said was, um, I can pre-check all of them. So 900 students will pre-check all of them and we'll stack them up and the kids will come in and pick up stacks. And they said, let's check with the PTA and see if we can get a step better than that. Um, Let's see if the PTA will sponsor um, canvas bags that we can then put the books in so the kids can just come grab their canvas bag.
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: And I said, fantastic, let's do that. And so we had about Fifteen days at the end of the summer. Um, Might have been more than that because I was think I think it was fifteen days and we worked through the weekends. And we had two volunteers from the PTA, and then myself, my kids, my five year old, my twelve year old, um, and um, and one library technician for three days. Rachel Levin for three days. And between those people, we managed to pre-check bag label and move um almost a thousand bags of textbooks into this atrium (laughs) area and what i didn't realize before i did this and it like it it becomes one of those experiences where you say well of course there's a reason that nobody does this um (laughs) the, the atrium the atrium became this um because it's it's a, it's a recessed atrium that has steps up like a like an amphitheater, okay. And it became a full amphitheater of bags, and they all had student names on them. And it became this thing in the district where people wanted to come and be photographed with it because it was it was so uh, space uh, intensive yeah. that it, it was it was like one of the wonders of the Western world. People would come and they would just pose with it because it was so many bags yeah. of books. And I, I, having had the experience, I, I hope we don't have to do it again next year. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. yeah. But it's the sort of thing where when you've done it once, it, there's always the risk you'll be volunteered to do it again.
0: Yeah. Definitely.
1: That was that one. And then in addition to that, we're doing um, clubs. Uh, so we have three library clubs. We're down to two library clubs this year. But um, one of them is chess. And so I've coordinated with using Zoom with Chess.com. We've got all the students in the district uh, with, not yes, with all the students in the district with pre-populated Chess.com accounts that are school-safe Chess.com accounts. We've run that through our tech department so that the kids in their in their school email accounts can access their Chess accounts. Perfect. And so what I can do is I can set up a zoom with breakout rooms and then the kids are playing chess.com against one another head to head yeah, their school accounts. Nice. And so that's super cool. And that's a very popular club, mm-hmm. we tend to have 30, 40 kids coming to that club every week. And then we've got a book club that we run. That's a library book club. And we're doing um, virtual book club meetings every week with that club. And um, Last year we had uh, a technology club, but that's now its own space and that's not run through the library anymore. Okay. Um, and then we do curbside circulation. Mm-hmm. And so we've set up a, um, a form on the school library website where the kids can come in mm-hmm. and they can reserve books. And I know lots of libraries are doing that one. So that's that's taking a good idea from everywhere else and bringing yeah. it in. And we've got okay. lots of books being <laughs> circulated there.
0: Yeah. That is awesome.
1: I think that's that's our COVID-related
0: okay. stuff. Very good. Well, I can see why that would have been noticed. You know, on the application, that's awesome. And to think you were only just starting out, <laughs> but what was at the start of your second year at that point? But
1: <laughs> yes, but I mean, it, it's been it's been craziness all the way along for us because our first year was occupied largely because we received two thousand boxes of unlabeled books oh, from awesome. four different campuses. And they basically said, and here's your middle school collection. <laughs> Vaya con Dios. Just wow. have a good time. Um, and so uh, I've actually worked my summers, the first two years.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, of this job. Uh, because the first summer was all cataloging and shelving. Yeah. and the Second summer was all COVID prep and processing and bagging textbooks. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it's it's been it's been fun. Yeah. but it's been it's been insane.
0: Yeah, goodness gracious. So, what what else do you remember about you know that since it's you know still so fresh in your mind? But what do you remember about this first year or two? You know that what really stands out in your mind?
1: Um, I will say, I loved my library school experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved receiving my MLIS. You know, eight years ago now. Um, but it very much did not prepare me for the reality of a uh, of having my own library okay. um, on, on any level, on like any level. And I will say that I was very lucky because I had some experiences in the intervening years where I was um, volunteering in libraries, where I was a temporary school librarian. Yeah. And those experiences allowed me to get familiar with things like, cataloging and circulation systems and yeah. so on and so forth using the platforms that I eventually had to use when I got into this library. Yeah. Because I would not have been prepared for mm-hmm. this based on what I, what I learned in school. So I would say, I mean, if, if I was talking to somebody who was just starting out, I would say, first of all, if you if you can find somebody experienced to take you through the kind of step-by-step process, somebody experienced with the platforms, with the software, because yeah. it varies a lot, um, uh, that would be very helpful. And then the other thing is, on that note, I've found that the vendors are remarkably good at kind of support. Um, we use Follett, Destiny. Okay. And my first few months, I spent on the phone with Follett just on a day-to-day basis going okay what is possible
0: yeah
1: why is it not working right for me Mm -hmm. and um and and how do I stop breaking things because (laughs) uh because we had we had only gone to fall in my school district on the high school level Mm -hmm. where we have had a teacher librarian we only Mm -hmm. had gone to fall it three years ago okay and when they had imported all of the resources all of the books and textbooks and things mm-hmm. into destiny nobody had checked it against the reality of the holdings at the oh elementary God. level right. and what i found out and i've been finding it out all the way along is that mm-hmm. there was probably a and this i mean i might be exaggerating i don't think so a 40 percent deviation between mm-hmm. what's on the shelf versus what's in the catalog okay. and it's I mean, we're talking about in each one of the libraries, we're talking about thousands of titles that are either not cataloged or improperly cataloged yeah. or have barcodes that won't scan because of the way that they were imported. And that's not down to Follett, that's down to the fact that we didn't have a you know, experienced librarian in those yeah. settings. Yeah. And um, so yes, we had a hair on fire experience when I first, you know got into the uh into the library and so that became all consuming for the first few months
0: yeah understandably so yeah
1: and then there was the question of okay we've sort of got things working from the level of circulation and we've sort of got you know the collection ready to go um how do i build the library program that i wanted from the beginning, that I used to justify my position, mm-hmm. and because I was saying to people, "Look, we're we're all about information literacy and digital literacy," and I'm coming from this this technology background as a technology teacher for special on special assignment. Right. <clears throat> what can I now do to demonstrate that? Like, how can I be a, a um, contributing member of this of this faculty as a teaching teacher librarian? And so that was my second you know, job and it started about, I would say, October, November of last year of trying to carve out this space for myself with the faculty where I would say, look, don't just send me your kids assuming that we're going to show them the library, Mm -hmm. bring them in, sit down, watch what we're doing. We're going to do really cutting edge stuff in here because we have the resources in this district and we do like, I'm very lucky. My district is extraordinarily well resourced when it comes to technology. And so we were doing things like we were setting up um, kind of lessons where we had a component that was an information literacy component that I would develop using Pear Deck that we deliver to the kids on student laptops and on a smart board. And then we would follow it up with home lessons that were, common sense media lessons. Mm -hmm. So we got the school common sense certified, and it became this process where it was this progressive uh, curriculum, and it was wonderful. And so that's continued as well. That's another thing that we've done with COVID is I'm doing virtual lessons in the classrooms. Um, And so that component became the kind of the, the the rationale for for really using the library and we saw our numbers really really ramp during that kind right. of period yeah because we were so active about getting kids in and working with kids and teaching these lessons and so we would we would be at capacity every day mm-hmm. because we would have these kids who were experienced coming to the library they had library needs they knew where the technology was they had experience using it in the library they knew they could come in and grab a laptop, they knew that we had, you know, databases and how to use them. And, um, and the teachers knew because they'd been there with their students. Mm -hmm. And so they were then leveraging that and saying, look, there are no excuses. We know what the library has to offer. You guys need to be using this. And so that became this really, really wonderful synergy. And because it was a new campus, and it was a new faculty, um, we were able to build that in from day one. And it wasn't like, Coming in and saying, "We know how things have been done in the past. We're going to do it differently." It was like, "Guys, this is we're new and this is big, and here's how you can use this." And, and so it became. Kind of
0: gonna last after COVID. You know, that's still going to be something that you do. So that's fantastic.
1: I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's um, COVID's been hugely disruptive, and we'll see. I mean, um, I don't take anything for granted. Um I know that it's been harder to get into classrooms during COVID, even though you would think it would be easier. You would think it would just be joining up on somebody's Zoom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I people have being on Zoom is such an awkward medium. Um it's it's a little bit, it's it's more difficult to convince people that no, really we can do this via yeah. Zoom, you know? Uh, so that's a process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, well, you, you have learned so much um, the, this first year and a half or so. That's um, when you're thinking back, even to like when you first got your degree, because I know you said it was quite a while, what kind of advice really could have helped you out? Um, or would you have loved to have somebody have told you back then?
1: Um, I would say that the most helpful things are were for me, uh, get into school libraries, um, you know, spend as much time in school libraries, either volunteering, offering help, um, doing doing student, because I I will say I did have to do some student teaching hours in school libraries. In California, the way that the system works, I don't know how consistent it is across the country. But I will say in California, you have to have an existing teaching credential Mm -hmm. in some other subject area. You have to get an MLIS. Though you can actually pull up short. I don't know why anybody would. You pull up basically one class short if you want to. Um, uh, but you, you have to get an MLIS and then you have to do a fair number of hours. Um, and I, I can't remember how many, but it, it, I believe it's in the 100 hour plus range um, of volunteer time in school libraries. And I would say do more. And I would say that when you are in those environments don't allow the teacher librarians in those environments to give you um, immaterial work to do really impress upon them that if you haven't had active cataloging experience or active circulation experience or active teaching experience in a school library, mm-hmm. that those are skills that you need to cultivate wow. and, um, that would be the most valuable, the absolute most valuable thing. And then from my, my own kind of personal experience, I would say, um, be ready to jump and, and, and be ready to, uh, to really sell the idea of libraries to um, school districts because in my state, they really were, they were letting libraries go. They were letting school libraries go and they, were, they had written off the idea of school libraries as an essential part of campuses, and they're starting to bring them back now. Okay. And i i don't know I don't know whether it's going to be a consistent trajectory, and I don't know where we'll end up at the end of this process. But um, you really have to advocate, and you have to you have to continually be out there um, doing outreach mm-hmm. uh, because. People don't stumble into school libraries the way that that we might have. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be an active thing that people need to knowingly and actively go and use this resource. Yeah. And so, really, mm-hmm. be your own be your own best salesperson for yeah. the school library.
0: Good point. Very good. All right. So you've given us a little hint about like what you're currently doing. You, know, you talked about the textbooks, the curbside, your clubs, is there anything else that's really kind of consuming your time right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that's consuming my time right now is this realization that even though we've got a circulating collection that will circulate in the computer, it is not necessarily reflected by our holdings on the shelves. And that makes curbside really difficult because (laughs) what we'll do is we'll get kids... Who are reserving books that just don't exist anymore? They don't exist, yeah. And oh, okay. so we're doing a we're doing a full inventory, and so we're we're scanning every book, um, and in those cases where we're finding things that are improperly cataloged, we're fixing them, and in those yeah. cases where um, where things aren't there, we're getting them out of the system, mm-hmm. and so that's I mean that's super time consuming.
0: Yeah, But worthwhile, extremely
1: worthwhile. Yes. I mean, you got to do the little things for the big things to work, you know, and um, uh, I would say that that's something that's been aggressively uh, accelerated by COVID because not only do we have the time, um, Mm -hmm. but we um, not only we have the time, but we we have the the impetus because with the curbside circulation, there needs to be a one-to-one representation of the uh, of right. the of the collection in the, in the catalog, in you know, a in a way that you could sort of get away with, with the kids scanning the shelves. You can say, oh, it must, it must be missing somewhere, or we'll just look for it for you. When in your heart, you know that it's probably it's been stolen it. or wandered off. Um, but then the other thing that has come up recently, and this is actually since the award, is um, we've got a lot of local libraries reaching out to kind of um, local public libraries reaching out to try to plan things with us um, where we create some synergy and we plan things together oh. that um, could be uh, could be COVID related or it could be longer term yeah. and so I've been talking to our, our local public library in Beverly Hills the school district's Beverly Hills I don't live in Beverly Hills but the school district's <laughs> in Beverly Hills okay. and um, the local public library reached out and they said we're looking for Things that will engage our middle school level students that use technology that that may not necessarily use library resources directly, but that we can support with the library and that we can you know bring kids in from the middle school in some way and make them active in this in this way. And I will say you know in the greater Los Angeles area, COVID is out of control, mm-hmm. and we are. Um, there was an article in the New York Times about two weeks ago about how this is, where I live is the most dangerous place in the United States to be. Um, as far as it, it's urbanized and it's out of control and you just, we have, we have no, uh, no grasp on the situation and our hospitals are overwhelmed and it's absolutely terrible. So what you don't want <clears throat> in this situation, is you don't wanna float ideas Where you're going to put people at risk. And so we've been talking back and forth, the uh, public library and I, and I suggested to them that what we could do is we could get QR codes and we could um, use uh, either uh, Goose Chase, which is an app for scavenger hunts, or um, we could use even, um, what is the one? I'm I'm blanking now on the name of the app. Uh, oh the, well, but the paid one, number.
0: The paid the, one is the I don't know if that's the one you're thinking of.
1: No, I'm I'm actually um, it's one of the one of the big uh, school apps where the kids can post videos and images and their own commentary, and the teachers will receive them. And it's basically a closed social network for schools. Oh. Um, but I, I I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the upshot is, uh, I was saying we can get some QR codes and we can put them on little placards around town and they could have literary or library related clues associated with them. Fun. And we can do a scavenger hunt mm-hmm. where we bring kids in and we we can have prizes and it can involve books and it can involve library resources Fun. and technology. And so they're really excited about possibly developing something along those lines yeah. so there there are ways that we can be really kind of fun and relevant and and a hub of the community
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though we can't get people physically together yeah. and so mm-hmm. being creative about that is a is a big thing looking forward at least until we're done with this pandemic you know wow. um, yeah flipgrid that's the name
0: of the app. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know that one. That's a good one. All right, well, Jesse, you have done so much. I can see, I can tell that your school has had a huge impact, you know, from you being there with all these things that you've implemented, you know, that didn't happen before. But tell me a little bit more about how do you, how would you describe to someone the influence that a librarian can have on a campus?
1: Libraries shouldn't be just a place on the campus. I mean, as a librarian, I I think that you need to be creative about the use of the resources and the use of the library. And you need to think of it more as how can we be as relevant in as many different ways as we possibly can. And personally, I get very surprised because I've talked to librarians over the years in libraries where I've volunteered in libraries where I've, I've done student hours and so forth. And I've talked to librarians who have this attitude that the space is precious, the books are precious, the students are disruptive, and they need to be kind of, they need to be the curator of the space, but that they don't need to, um, they don't need to make the space kind of relevant in multiple ways. And yeah. I think that, that a school librarian is best served by saying yes to everything. And just basically when people come to you and say, can we do this in your library? The correct answer should be yes, no matter how insane or, or you know um, how, how how unlikely the mesh is with your concept of what a library is or the, the history of libraries. Libraries should just be multi-use relevant spaces on the campus that support Whatever the campus is doing, and so um, my philosophy is you know just say yes to everything and 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 go from there um, and so we've had all these different kind of opportunities because of that, so um, things that that I didn't think that the library would be involved with you know have come from that, like we were we supported the science fair and we supported the anti Um, vaping initiative and we supported all of these things on the campus Um, events you know like like we were one of the hubs for the schools before before COVID the schools kind of back to school night and so forth and we tried to be present and we tried to have me or one of the technicians playing a central role in all of these events and your organizing role so that we could just speak up and say look we can support this. And here's how we're going to be creative with this. Mm-hmm. And I get really excited personally, and it's not something that we've been able to implement yet. When people do things, like I love that when people, when people have hybrid maker spaces, libraries and things like that, I love that. I love when people have like a 3D printer in the library and they make it available to mm-hmm. patrons or students. I love the kind of mixed use library model where people just turn it. I, I had, a, I had a library professor way back when I got my um, MLIS who was uh, fascinated. I mean, fascinated is the wrong word. He was obsessed <laughs> with the idea of libraries as um, coffee houses wow. and this idea that a library should basically be Starbucks mm-hmm. and that you should just kind of say, look, you know, his attitude was, uh, any librarian who says no to, to students eating or you know uh, 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 people consuming food in the library or you know so on and so forth, you're missing a trick. You should just you should just make it as comfortable and welcoming to people as possible. No matter how complicating that is to your life, you're going to benefit from it in the in the long term because the the library, the use will go up. And the the experience will be more positive for your patrons. And as long as you don't have squirrels, you know, or raccoons moving into the library, <laughs> you know, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so I, I I've taken that to heart, you know, and I think that that is um, something that we, you know, support in our in our library to a degree. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are just so many ways that libraries and school libraries specifically need to be relevant. And there are so many ways that, that school librarians can make themselves relevant that are just outside the box. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and I mean, if you don't, if you don't have a background in technology, and I and I say that I, I do, and it's it is a benefit to me that I have this background in technology. Um, that that needs to be a growth area, you know, um, because. Uh, That's where people are consuming the majority of their information. And if you can't support your patrons as they learn to kind of navigate that space, um, you need to work on that because, and and it's something that I work on every day. I I, I spend a huge amount of time Mm -hmm. thinking about the way that, that my library can support my students who are just right at the point where they're becoming sophisticated enough to make those sorts of judgments about, you know, um, about, about, about um, reliability and misinformation and disinformation. Mm-hmm. And they all have cell phones and they don't really have the filters that they're going to need to develop as human beings to kind of navigate that. And so that's, I mean, i i I think about these things all the time so this becomes it's kind of an obsession for me
0: i can tell but that i mean what an awesome thing and i mean that's really going to make a difference in their lives now but also in the future you know for everything that they're doing so that's great so when you're looking to the future and let's say (laughs) post-covid um is there any kind of thing that you're starting to think about now that you want to work
1: on um yeah i mean yes actually um uh, my school district has a lot of technology on the campuses and it, it creates a very kind of welcoming space for kids to use technology, but what they don't have, or what they do, what rather it's a double-edged sword, I should say. What they do is they lock down the technology fairly aggressively so the kids can't do things like get onto social media Uh-oh. and so forth. And um, so we don't even the teachers don't have access to social media on the district devices. Mm -hmm. And while there is some district level support for that, I feel like the library needs to have its own social media space Mm -hmm. and its own outreach. And we don't have that. And it's something where it's always been about number three or four on my list of, of urgent priorities, you know, for the last two years, because everything else has come up. Um, but it's something where I feel like I need to start exploring that as a, as a, as a not only as a um, kind of proselytization, proselytiz- <laughs> that word's not gonna come out of it, as a way to proselytize <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> um, uh, on behalf yeah. of the library, um, but also as an instructional tool and as an outreach tool. And it needs to be something where um, I feel like I can support the kids Mm -hmm. as they navigate that space, but also something where I feel like, okay, this is a useful space for the library because it hasn't been up until this point. And so that's something I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about that a lot since the beginning of COVID.
0: Yeah, you're right it's a great advocacy tool you know like you were saying but it also is such an awesome teaching opportunity you know it brings up those teachable moments and i know i've seen a lot of high schools and middle schools where they actually incorporate you know some of that social media stuff you know into the lessons even that they teach with digital citizenship and um, different things but you've talked a lot about information literacy so um for a listener who might not be familiar with that phrase, hopefully they are, but if the case are not, how would you define information literacy? How would you describe that?
1: First of all, I would say if you're a librarian and you're not like thinking about information literacy all the time, please start. Yeah. Um, because I, I kind of feel like all teachers should be thinking about this all the time. And this should be a central part of our, of our, of our discourse as educators because we're in a society that is is at a transitional point when it comes to information literacy. We have more information kind of pouring into our heads on a day-to-day basis than any human being in human history ever has. We have access to more information than any human being ever has. And the problem is because we've democratized access and because we've democratized the creation of information, what we what we need to do now is we need to develop the critical skills to be able to navigate that in a way where we don't get lost yeah. where we don't where we don't fall down rabbit holes that lead nowhere where we where we are all speaking the same language mm-hmm. because i can say with great confidence we are not right now and and this is true across every aspect of society this is not something that is explicitly political though there is an element of that this is true in every aspect of our lives. There are things that we are exposed to on a day-to-day basis that have just not been vetted well and they don't correspond with any sort of empirical reality. And there there are levels that this plays out socially and there are levels that this plays out um, uh, as far as politically and there are levels that this plays out just educationally and I feel like Our students need to be confident that they can take a piece of information and they can make a judgment. They can make a judgment about whether this is a piece of information that they should be using to uh, create the foundation for some sort of judgment or idea um, that, uh, or as the basis for some sort of research that they are doing, whether it is a reliable piece of information, whether it is a useful piece of information. And so, the tool that we use at the middle school level very aggressively is the crap scale, whether something is current, whether it's relevant, whether it's accurate, um, and what its purpose is. Um, and that is a rubric by which my students need to learn how to approach every single piece of information that they that they find, whether they find it through, a, a mainstream source or whether they find it through just a, a raw web search, they should be able to look at that piece of information and say, okay, is this something that I want to be using as as a source of a judgment that I'm going to make about the world? And so and and I will say. This is not something that, that stops with middle school students or high school students. Exactly. <laughs> information literacy is a, is a life skill that exactly. we all need to work on um, because Lord knows, the world would be a different place right now if we, if we all had better information literacy skills. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and again, it's, it's, a non, it's a non-ideological kind of framework for just making judgments um on things and so the place to start the place to start and to really lay that foundation is the school library and it should be supported in every classroom Mm -hmm. in every subject at every grade level from the time the kids are old enough to start to make these you know judgments and it should be an everyday thing and they should be reminded of it every day
0: yeah, so for the librarians who are new, they're like you, but, but you already have this in place, what would you tell brand new librarians? Like how, what would be like a starting step, you know, to get to get going with information literacy?
1: Um, I would say that if you want an easy place to start, um, the easiest place to start is by breaking out the information literacy lessons from, uh, from places like Common Sense Media, they have a very good one, Um, Media Matters has a very good one. They've got canned materials that you can start from. Um, Take a look at them, see if your district will formally adopt them. Uh, That's a great place to start because if you can develop an adopted library curriculum, it becomes something where it's got the power of kind of institutional support from your school district. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to go about that. I will say I tried to do that from, from day one. My school district has not formally adopted those. For a very strange reason, because because they're free, and oh, my school district can't formally adopt anything that doesn't cost them money. Really? Yeah, they have to buy a curriculum. That's what adopting means in my school district. I would say that it, if if you can if you can negotiate with your district or your you know um, institution to 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 create some sort of language on the district level that that formalizes those, that would be great. Um, but. Uh, those are great places to start, um, and then just—I mean—read up. I mean, start start really digging in because there's a lot of really amazing stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not this is—I mean—I will say, I know that I know that I come to this because I feel like this is something where we are badly off track. You know, it's societally, and we are badly off track um, uh, historically when it comes to information literacy. But this is not a modern problem. This is a problem that has existed for as long as there has been information. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually make this super relevant historically and you can create curriculum that you can deliver with your history classes when you talk about things like yellow journalism. And when you talk about things like um, uh, the the experience of people when they heard uh, the radio broadcast of War of the Worlds which I will say, I love this because this is a, this is a double-edged, just, a, I'm gonna go down a small rabbit hole here, sorry. <laughs> this, is a, this, is, this is a very passionate point for me. Yeah. Um, War of the Worlds. We don't know, there's no way for us to know, based on what we have today, whether the Orson Welles War of the Worlds broadcast genuinely created the panic that was reported in the newspapers or whether that was a marketing idea put together by the radio stations yeah. and Orson Welles. And there is evidence to support that. There was an excellent book oh, that wow. was uh, written with, with uh, contemporary research and all sorts of sourcing that basically makes the arguments, amazing book. It's a beautifully written book um, that makes the argument that actually it's us who are demonstrating poor information literacy skills when we take as written the idea That people heard this war of the world's broadcast and genuinely thought that aliens were landing that that is actually us falling for the contemporary marketing of the war of the world's broadcast and orson welles getting out there and doing interviews and that it was only a very small number of people who actually were whipped up into a frenzy and that they were whipped up into a frenzy specifically because they were thinking that it wasn't aliens that it was related to world war ii and it was related to the start of uh, hostilities in Europe. So I think that that's a super interesting like, lesson for kids because there's all sorts of things that you can bring in there and go, look, I'm an adult and I was wrong about elements of this. And like, yeah, information literacy is a, is a huge um, uh, world that, that libraries not only need to support, but that offers tremendous opportunities to develop curriculum and to work with kids in a way that is proactive and, and will benefit them forever.
0: Well, I had never heard that theory before um, with the war of the worlds, that's quite interesting. So when you're, when you think about information literacy and, and other kind of things, what where do you go to? Like, what are your sources that you go to to keep learning and growing in that specific area?
1: I My sources are just, I mean, genuinely, I will say that I am too deep in this to kind of pinpoint um, individual sources at this point because I started from when I was first, well, no, actually that's not true at all. When I was an English teacher, I used to do a unit on information literacy where I was basically talking to kids about yellow journalism and so forth that, that was a hybrid unit when I was doing uh, what they called um, core classes in, in middle school, which is history and English. So I would create a hybrid unit around that. But as a librarian over the last year, I started from the the um, common sense media materials, yeah. Yeah. and then it was just building out from there. So it was like, okay, what can I read? And so I was bringing in books um, for my own just edification and just I mean a lot of this, a lot of this is motivated as much by me being fascinated by it mm-hmm. and fascinated by the way that people get sucked into things and the the way that the way that we because I okay, wow, like I'm going to, I'm going to unwind this slightly. Oh. I'm a great believer in Wikipedia. I know that this is an unpopular position to take as a school librarian, but I'm a great believer that there's nothing wrong with starting from a crowdsourced kind of um, unverified website. If you can wind backwards your sourcing. Yeah. So my thing is this: um, I want kids to be able to go out there and go look wherever I got this piece of information, whether it's the first hit, whether it's the Wikipedia hit, whether it's the you know uh, first article that I see on a given topic. I want them to be able to go, okay, how do I break this down? How do I how do I work backwards and see if what I've come up with is a reliable thing at all? How do I come up with other sources to corroborate it? How do I make judgments about it? So I spend a lot of time reading very broadly on the topic, not because, um, not because it's like central to my pedagogy, but because it's something where it's like, oh, this is fascinating, like this is fun. We've got all these tools available to us across society and let's use them in interesting ways. And so um, there's a degree of, of me just nerding out yeah. Which is how I ended up with my Orson Welles story as well, because that's you know just me nerding out.
0: And I'll recommend to you the News Literacy Project. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yes. That's another good good site for teaching us about how to discern things, you know, that we're seeing in the the news
1: arena. But
0: well, just- I will say.
1: I'm sorry, on that note, like Newzella and Raz Kids and all sorts of, you know, just they're they're there as reading supports. They're supposed to be nonfiction reading supports. But if your school or school district has those, they actually make good information literacy lessons as well. Um, Anytime you're exposing kids to what is ostensibly nonfiction is an opportunity for an information literacy experience. Yeah,
0: that's great. Well, Jesse, you are definitely passionate about that. if you pursue another degree i recommend you pursue information literacy you know that might be your your special research project topic area but um that's awesome very good information so you've shared so much with our audience today and um i know you're not big on social media what about your website do you have like a school
1: website yep we do bvms.bhusd.org and it's mostly it's, it's outward facing materials for students, but it's a good place to go if you want to see, because it is updated and it is current and it's something where we've got all of our resources outward facing there. Yeah. Um, and I do, I have to say, I do want to get a library social media account going. I don't, you know, okay. currently have one though.
0: But even seeing how y'all inter- interact with your students, that would be good, you know, if they can get on your website, get some ideas totally. of that, so. Well, thank you so much for your time and, and congratulations again on your award. It's, I mean, what an exciting thing within your first couple of years to already be having a big award like that. That's it's amazing.
1: unbelievable. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with myself.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. But thanks again for your time. It's been awesome talking to you and I look forward to um, seeing your name in the future on different things, different projects. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.